Phoenix, it's not cool to say you're from Phoenix. Like, I'm guilty of that too. Anybody that told me that they were born and raised in Phoenix and then they're in their 30s, I'm like, what are you doing here? Mm. You should leave. <laughs> I don't trust you at all. You are and have been for your entire life so entrenched in this place. Um, you know, what did it take to, to get you to move? What's that been like? Well, what it really took is a pandemic. Huh? My body sort of had like this fight or flight response. And I was like, man, I got to get out of this country. Like this country is not built for us. I wanted a challenge. I wanted to grow. And people say in New York, that's if you can survive there, <laughs> you can live anywhere. You think you'll ever come back? I will never say never. I really can't say what's going to happen in the future, but I, I'm not letting go of Phoenix. What kept me here was the people. I was fortunate enough to meet some wonderful individuals, genuine, really good people. Phoenix is a bit of an enigma. On one hand, there is a lot of griping about this place where we all live. Call it Phoenix or the Valley or the Phoenix metro area. It's a mecca of sprawling suburbs, strip malls and chain restaurants. It's too hot to survive in the summer and full of retirees in the winter. It's devoid of original culture or art, and no one here supports the arts anyway. If you want to make something of yourself, you'd better get out of Phoenix. And did we mention the heat? These are things you've probably heard someone say or said yourself about Phoenix. And sure, there's some truth there, but we think Phoenix has an inferiority complex. It's a beautiful place to live. It's easy. It's still pretty cheap. It's full of culture and history and tradition. You just have to know where to look. And most of all, Phoenix is full of potential. Inferiority complex is right. That's a phrase that longtime Phoenix writer and now our executive producer here on the show, Amy Silverman, used more than 15 years ago in an extensive piece for Phoenix New Times. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. As I've watched friend after friend after friend leave for greener pastures, bigger cities with more opportunities, more culture, more of a scene... As I felt the call to leave myself, to go to New York or L.A. or D.C., to go to the big time, to get out of this place that never quite seems to live up to its potential. So I invited Amy to the mic today to help me introduce a new series here on the show that will dive into all of this. We're calling it Exit Interview. Hi, Amy. Hey, Lauren. Okay, so this will be a series of conversations with people who have left Phoenix about why and about, you know, what it is about Phoenix that makes people seem to want to leave. <laughs> is this a pattern you've really seen a lot over the years? Oh, so much. <laughs> to the point where when I meet someone new, I say, oh, it's nice to meet you, but you won't stick around long. <laughs> okay, so I want you to take us back to that piece you wrote for New Times back in, this was 2005, to this idea of Phoenix having an inferiority complex, which I think fits it so well. Where did that idea come from? Somebody else had used the term it got kind of in passing in a conversation about about something unrelated, and I latched onto it because it so reminded me of my experience with Phoenix, or as I concluded that essay, uh, perhaps it's just me and I have an inferiority complex. <laughs> So this idea, though, that we don't live up to our potential, that people leave for a reason, where do you think this comes from? I have wondered that so much. I don't know, because 
one of the things I love about Phoenix so much, and, and one of the things that I've made peace with, and, and I, I do know other people, other natives, people who've lived here a long time, who've gone through sort of the, I don't know, the, the different levels of, of grief of living in Phoenix <laughs> and, and come out on the other side and, and love it. The stakes are really low in Phoenix. Hmm. You know, it's it's a place that to a lot of people doesn't really matter, but it's also a place where a young person or even a not so young person can make their mark. And for me, uh, that was one of the draws as compared with living in New York. I had been living in New York and there were literally many, many other people named Amy Silverman who <laughs> wanted, wanted to or were doing exactly the same thing I was doing or trying to do in New York. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous and I don't know this place. I know Phoenix. Hmm. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back there and cover it. I, I don't know what it is that keeps people from loving this place. So that's what we're going to dive into here. Amy Silverman, thank you. Thank you, Lauren. So now for our first exit interview. For Michael Turner, ending up in Phoenix was sort of a last resort when he was 18 and looking to get out of his hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. I was applying all over and I thought, oh, why don't I apply to Arizona State? And um, as you know, uh, I think for the past 20-something years, they've been just accepting anybody because <laughs> I definitely didn't have the best the best grades. I, mean, I didn't even get accepted into like most, like Ohio State didn't accept me. I would try to get into OU. I could have gone to Cincinnati. And I was like, you know what? I would love to just get out of here. I think I was lucky to have a perspective on the fact that I, th I thought if I stayed in Cincinnati, I would never leave. So he went to ASU and got a degree in communications, which he says he's using today in a roundabout way as a stand-up comedian. It's a career he sort of stumbled into after, of all things, his best friend's death in the Iraq war. We were all super close, and I remember hitting up his family. It was like an instinctual reaction, and I hit up his brother that I knew real well and said, I'd love to speak at the funeral. And um, I ended up speaking on his behalf. Multiple people did, but from the perspective of being his friend, I think at 21, nobody knows you better than your friends, unfortunately. Your yeah. family is out of the loop on some of the real shit that you're doing back then. So, mm -hmm. um, so I... I spoke at his funeral, uh, Brandon Honor, may he rest in peace. And um, I'll never forget the, the feeling of speaking in front of a huge audience like that and having real control of it. And it, it really meaning a lot to people. And I remember looking over to my right and I had the preacher was crying at one point and laughing at another <laughs> point and really knowing that my words had an impact and moved people and the feedback that I had from close friends and even people I'd never met in my life that said that, you know, the way I connected really meant something to them that day. And yeah. it was at that point that I realized, like, I got to do something with communicating in a mass, a massive way or in front of uh, audiences. And I didn't know how that would look. Um, I remember thinking I would be like a motivational speaker or something like that, like Tony Robbins. And now <laughs> like, that's, that's not who I am <laughs> at all, even though I do love a good Tony Robbins speech. I was also like high school, like most likely to be on SNL, vote, like all the superlatives, like uh, <laughs> class clowns, so to speak. You know, I was always that guy too. Mm -hmm. And it ended up, it didn't happen immediately, but years later, 2012, I finally said, I'm going to get up on stage and, and start stand up. As an up-and-coming comic in Phoenix at the time, Turner told me it was a great city to be in. Big enough to have some good clubs to play, but small enough to let an unknown kid cut his chops. So you're new to the stand-up scene. You're in Phoenix, um, 2012. 
what was it like? Was it welcoming? Was there a lot of opportunity for someone in that position at the time? I was fortunate knowing what I know now about the scene before I started. At that point, the scene had grown into a, a city that had like, you could get up on stage like almost every night. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a rarity. You know, if you're not living in New York, LA, Chicago or something, it's, it's not a lot of scenes that you can really get good stage time right. um, almost every night. So I was really fortunate. Yeah, I had a lot of, a lot of good opportunities. Sometimes you just know early on if somebody's kind of good at it. Mm -hmm. And I was also pretty self-aware if I was, if I was bad, I think I would have known, yeah. but I didn't, I was like, oh, I'm, this isn't going bad. Um, <laughs> and so the scene was supportive in that way. I think they knew like, oh, this kid could be all right. And a lot of people gave me stage time and it was good. Yeah, it was, it was um, a scene that uh, gave me a lot of, a lot of love early on. He got better fast, playing bigger stages, earning a pretty decent following. He even started producing his own shows, one of them a so-called fake news comedy show called This Week Sucks Tonight that he produced with fellow Phoenix comedian Anwar Newton became something of a runaway hit. It was a late night show at 11 o'clock on Thursdays every week. Mm. And, you know, it was packed every <laughs> week. I would say within the first, like, three to four or five months it was it was it and uh trump had just gotten into office so like mm -hmm. we had a lot of fodder to talk about politically and like things like that and um it turned into yeah something that something that got a lot of buzz and was filling up the front room of the crescent ballroom every thursday night the success of This Week Sucks Tonight kicked his career into overdrive. He and Newton started taking the show around the country, where sold-out crowds in New York and L.A. cheered them on, and the national comedy world took notice. But here in Phoenix, he said, things stalled. People from everywhere else would come into this market, and they would do This Week Sucks Tonight, mm -hmm. and these are people that are great, amazing comics. Like, you know, we would have a Ty Rivera, we would have Marcella Arguello. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had so many, so many great standups come through. People like Maz Jabroni would see This Week Sucks Tonight. And Jeff Ross sat in one time and like Nate Bargatze watched it, you know, like huge yeah. names. Yeah. And like, this is crazy. This is <laughs> what are you what are you guys doing? This is so fun and nuts. And you guys are awesome. And I'm sitting there like, why don't you tell anybody in this city? Phoenix didn't show up for them the way other towns did. They hit a ceiling here and a pretty low one at that. Why are you doing this in Phoenix is a question he got used to hearing. So much so that finally he left. That's right. Like everyone else we'll talk to in this series, Michael Turner gave up on Phoenix, where he had invested years trying to build a comedy scene. Now he lives in Los Angeles, where he's seeing even greater success. His thesis on the Valley of the Sun is pretty simple. Phoenix doesn't deserve nice things. Nice things he told me he tried his hardest to create here. Here's our conversation. Was there a point at which it felt like you couldn't grow it any further? There were no more places for you to go in this city? What eventually drove you out? Yeah, I travel a lot around the country and there's different markets. Like I referred to like LA and New York earlier being the big markets, but yeah. like I've gone to Denver and like right now there's something going on in Austin, Texas is like taking over. It's a huge market now. Um, San Francisco, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I've gone to all these cities and seen these peers of mine that are not, you know, any different than me and Anwar were in their ability to do, to produce shows and do cool stuff and make people laugh. And I was sitting there seeing what they've been able to create in these other cities. Like Denver is a perfect example of uh, Ben Roy and Andrew Orvidal and Andrew Caton Holland, along with a lot of other people have created an amazing scene there, but they really spearheaded a lot of cool stuff there. Mm -hmm. 
And I was inspired to do that in Phoenix. I wanted to do that. And I saw, I was like, well, we're already doing these cool shows. Like, why don't we just continue to grow and build these things? And with that, other people will see it and create other different shows and they can compete with us. And that will create a whole scene and all this stuff. And This Week Sucks Tonight was so popular that we ended up moving it from Crescent Ballroom, where was a great starting point. And then Stand Up Live, obviously the you know largest comedy venue in the city, wanted us to bring it there on a weekly basis. And we tried our damnedest to mm-hmm. make that the big... In my mind, I was like, this is going to be huge. There's a thing in LA called Kill Tony, and now it's in Austin. That's like, it sells that every week, and it's it's made for that. I'm like, we could be that. You know, yeah. let's... Let's grow this thing and and do that right here in Phoenix. And we marketed it. We jumped on radio stations. We tried to tell everybody. We screamed it from all the mountaintops. Mm-hmm. And um, we just hit, you know, we'd never get over like 100 people there. And mm-hmm. also, we appreciate every single one of those 100 people that came. Yeah. But it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't growing the way that we needed it to grow just monetarily, right? To be able to not only make us money, but make the business money, like yeah. make stand up live money too. And the crazy part of the perspective was that we would travel. Like I said, we would take it to festivals. We took it to New York city and we sold out a, a venue in uh, New York city, having never lived in New York city. Huh. We started taking it to Los Angeles in the comedy store and we would nearly sell out if not selling out in the belly room. Um, having never lived in LA hmm. and we would take it to North Carolina and Memphis and we took it all over. We took it to Denver, Denver invited <laughs> us to do it. Right. And the feedback was always from our peers, from people that had never seen it. They're like, what the hell is this show? This show needs to blow up. This should be on TV. This should be somewhere else. And this should be the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. And then we go back to Phoenix and we're scrapping for people to care about it. Yeah. And it's like maddening. That's so Phoenix, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like I say, I always think this is my big perspective on Phoenix is they just they don't deserve nice things because I gave them nice things. Uh, It's it's just like if you put so much love into something and try to do it and then you don't get that back. It's Mm -hmm. like this. This is an abusive relationship. Yeah. This is like, this is like, (laughs) I'm being emotionally abused. This is like uh, Sharon Stone and Jimmy Woods in Casino, you know, (laughs) and I'm Sharon Stone in this. You're Sharon Stone. So, so I mean, what is it? Like, what's, what's wrong with Phoenix? Like, I relate to that totally. I've heard that story from a lot of people in different ways, right? In different genres and different things they're trying to do. And why is it? What do you think? I think that I commented earlier that I'm from the Midwest, right? I Mm -hmm. came to Arizona from the Midwest. The majority of people in Phoenix aren't from Phoenix. And therefore, they don't care about things that are created within Phoenix. They would much rather hold out hope that the show that they love that started in New York or Chicago comes to visit Phoenix. And then they'll show that the support that they've never shown anything. (laughs) Um, in that city. So I think it's that. I think that nobody has roots there. In Phoenix, it's not cool to say you're from Phoenix. Like, I'm guilty of that too. Anybody that told me that they were born and raised in Phoenix and then they're in their 30s, I'm like, what are you doing here? You should leave. (laughs) I don't trust you at all. So 
The difference is so stark. It's true. So tell us about your perspective on all of this now that you're in L.A. You're doing you're doing really well there. Right. Which is sort of ironic considering the massive competition probably in the comedy scene there. But it's something that you couldn't get here. Right. So like when I moved to L.A. initially, I moved at the beginning of 2020. So crazy, horrible timing considering the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. But we moved there having ran out of gas at our show in Phoenix and at Stand Up Live. And I never forget me and Anwar being like, let's get the heck out of here and move the show. We already had it at the Comedy Store on a monthly basis. Comedy Store is like the mecca of all comedy, arguably in the whole world, but definitely like in California and the West Coast. So it was amazing to do that. And then the whole world changed. But we've come back and we haven't been able to bring it back full steam, but we have been able to put it on multiple times and it's crazy. Now I walk around town and in Los Angeles, I'm still introducing myself because I'm still kind of the new kid in town Mm -hmm. and people will say, oh, I heard about your show. Uh I heard about your show. And it's like, oh, so it's already getting appreciated here (laughs) more than it ever has in in Phoenix. And I've only been here a little bit. And Mm -hmm. people are like, yeah, I heard it's great, blah, blah, blah. There's eyes on it that I would have never uh, been able to get in Phoenix. So it's been... It's been good, you know, and the the city can be hot and cold at times, but um, momentum is real and, and word of mouth is still a very real thing. So that's been been great. Yeah. All right. Maybe we don't deserve nice things. Michael Turner, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your perspective on this. Thank you so much. listening to Exit Interview. An earlier version of this story appeared on KJZZ's The Show. If you liked this episode, subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Exit Interview is a KJZZ original production. This episode was written, produced, and hosted by me, Lauren Gilger. It was co-produced by Nick Sanchez, and our executive producer is Amy Silverman. Until next time, thanks for listening.